0: Well, welcome. I'm glad you're here. You came in ahead of the snow, right? I mean, who else besides me is hoping the snow gets here? A few of us are, yeah. <laughs> if it's going to be this cold, there ought to be snow, right? So, I'm um, glad you're here. Hey, great news for you. Uh, Stephanie and Mark Kleins had their baby. Jonathan Patrick was born this week, nine pounds, three ounces. I'm just realizing right now, I could have put a picture up on the screen so you could have seen him, but I'm also pretty sure that grandma and grandpa, Rick and Sharon Alderman, will be happy to show you pictures after services, so... You can come see the pictures of the baby. Welcome to 40 Days in the Word. If you uh, have a worship folder, you can pull one of those out. There's a place to take notes in here. And uh, this is a series that Rick Warren developed out at Saddleback Church in California. We gave away a book, Rick Warren's Bible Study Methods, last week. It was such a popular thing. We're going to give another one away today. So the way you get involved in the drawing here is just fill out a connect card, drop it in the offering here in a little bit, and we're going to pull a name at the end of service. You may walk out here with the book. I'll also tell you, this is inside stuff. You give me seven bucks, I'll make sure you get one. Uh, Yeah, there's some available out at the connect table if you want, and seven dollar donation suggested, but you can grab one there. So uh, we're talking about the Bible, the Word of God. Forty days in the Word. I hold in my hand here. This is literally, I think, the most powerful, popular book in the world, most printed book in the world. I don't know if you realize this or not. Back in 1450, the first book printed on the Gutenberg press was the Bible. We got a replica of the original press there. Over like 500 different languages in the world of the complete Bible translated into their language. There are another 2,500 languages that have at least a part of the Bible translated. in. And there's still several thousand languages that need the Bible in their dialect, but there you go. So this is a, a very much printed book and just very much out there. I don't know if you uh, realize that or not, but it is a very popular book. So I, was, I heard a story about a guy who was talking to his neighbor. He said, yeah, I finally got up in the attic, started cleaning some of the junk out of the attic. I was amazed at the stuff we've been keeping. Like, why are we keeping all this crud? One thing is, like, I pulled out a box, and there was, like, this book, box full of books, including my grandma's old Bible. It was, like, falling apart and tattered. I don't know why she even put it in there. Why didn't she just throw it away? It was, like, a Gutenberg Bible or something like that. And they were, like, wait, you talking about, like, a Gutenberg Bible? You didn't throw it away, did you? That thing could be worth a lot of money. And his neighbor's like, ah, not this one. Like some guy named Martin Luther, it's scribbled all over it. (laughs) Some of you know what I'm talking about there. You you, You might be tempted to think, well, just how valuable can the Bible be? Because you can get one anywhere. Go into any bookstore, you can get a Bible. Go into any hotel, they're in the drawer, just take it, right? You can download it to your phone. So do not let the ubiquity of the Bible, the fact you can get it anywhere, make you think that it's not special. Think about it this way. If you could go anywhere and you could get for free bacon and dark chocolate and Diet Mountain Dew, would they be any less delicious because they were free? Just because the Bible is readily available. We live in unprecedented times, but that does not mean that it's any less special. We do live in a significant time, and this is powerful. How many of you, show of hands, how many of you have one of these in your possession or in your home? Yeah, pretty consistent, like 93% of Americans have a Bible. Pretty Here's the thing. Saying you own one doesn't mean you're actually using it. Give you a, an analogy here. You own a lot of books, maybe you don't read. There was a book last year called The Goldfinch by an author named Donna Tart, and uh, it was a bestseller for all of 2013-2014, won a Pulitzer Prize. Do you know how many people who downloaded The Goldfinch actually read The Goldfinch? As of a few weeks ago, it was something like 44% of people who are like, You bought the book. You think maybe it's an award-winning book. It's really good, it's a bestseller. You think you ought to read it. Same thing with the Bible. You have a Bible. Do you read it? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on this, but studies show consistently about half, less than half of all Americans say I actually read the Bible. We all have one, but we're not using it. So I just got to ask, how much will it help you because you own it? Does that make sense to you? Just because you take it to church, is it going to do something good for you? I think you, this answer is obvious, right? Unless you engage with the Bible, you're not going to be transformed by the Bible. Simply owning it won't do anything for you. This, this book has the power to transform your life. But it's like like you can own an exercise bike. You can own a treadmill. You can own free weights. Are they going to transform your life if they sit in your basement? You, you've got to engage with it to be transformed by it. And So we're talking about this is like has the power to shape your future, your eternity, your life, but you've got to use it. So what I want to do today is just be very practical. Literally, how does a person engage with the Bible in a way that transforms their life? What, what do I do with it? Like, do I just, like, put it by my bed at night? Do I put it under my pillow and hope that good things just kind of emanate from it? Do I, like, uh, an osmosis takes over? What, how do you do, like, some people just do this. They honestly, maybe you've done this and I'm not making fun of you if you do, but they do the flip and dip. I flip to a page in the Bible that's what I'm going to read. You ever done that before? Flipping it. One guy, I don't think this is true, but people talk about this all the time. Like a guy flipped in the Bible and went, this is what I'm going to read. Oh, and Judas went out and he hanged himself. Ooh, or flipped to another one. Go thou and do likewise. <laughs> what you're about to do, do quickly. No, don't, don't do that. It's not a good way. I do not recommend just flipping and saying, God, show me something today, and this is what it is. There's a better way to engage this that changes your life. And once you actually turn to something in your Bible, this is in the book of James. So it's okay to look at the table of contents, by the way. That's fair game here. You want to, toward the end of your Bible, I don't hear any pages turning. I hope those of you who have got your smartphone, you're actually like pulling up the Bible app on your smartphone right now. We're looking at James chapter 1. I hear it now. That's good. While you're trying to find that, James 1.19 is what we're looking for. James is the... uh, the half-brother of Jesus. There was another James who was an apostle of Jesus, but this is a different James. It was his half-brother. Um, we, I guess Joseph was his his father. Jesus was Joseph's adopted son. So you got James growing up with Jesus. He was Jesus' little brother. Did not believe in Jesus when he was growing up. You know, just really didn't think he was anything. He's just my big brother. It's nothing special. I think that changed after Jesus rose from the dead, which is, to me, a very compelling argument. This is off the topic, but a very compelling argument for the the truth of Jesus and his resurrection, that his own family members believed in him. They, the people who knew him best believed in him, worshipped him. James went on to become an apostle, or not an apostle, an elder in the church at Jerusalem, a very powerful leader in the church. What we think we have here in this letter of James is actually some of his sermon notes. So let's listen in on something he may have taught in the church. This is uh, starting in verse 19. James said this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, Slow to become angry, because a person's anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent. Humbly accept the word plant in you, in you which can save you. Don't merely like, listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a person who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and like, immediately forgets what he looked like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he's going to be blessed in what he does. So how do I experience transformation through this book? I want to look at what James said there. And the very first thing I want to point out is that I'm transformed when I listen to this word with my ears. You can write that down. I'm transformed when I listen to the word of God. The Bible says this different person... Paul wrote this. This is in Romans ten seventeen. He says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the word of Christ. You listen to the word. Every time that you hear a message from a pastor or a teacher, when you're in the car and you're flipping through the stations and you land on a, a preacher and you start listening to that, when you're in a life group and you're hearing teaching being brought, that's this. You're listening to the word of God, and your faith is being built up. Right now, as you're sitting here, if you're engaged and you're actually listening and paying attention, your faith is being built up because you're listening to the word of God being taught, and it builds you up. And and so it's an incredible thing. Faith comes by hearing. So let's get back to what James says about this down in verse 19 through 21. He says, You need to be quick to listen. Then down in verse 21, he says this humbly accept the word, the, the Bible that's planted in you, that can save you. It's kind of a metaphor where he's saying, the Bible, the word of God, it's like seeds. And this is an image the Bible has used commonly. Like Jesus taught this story. It was a parable that he made up, but he was trying to illustrate something true about life and about the Bible. He said, it's kind of like a farmer who had plowed his field, and he goes out with a bag full of seed, and he starts scattering seed, he's planting seed. And the seed that he planted was the word of God, and the dirt that the seed was going into was like our hearts, and so he says there's different kinds of soil that the seed landed on. There's, like, good good dirt. And then there's the path that the farmer walked on to get to the fields, and they landed on there, and it just kind of sat on top. And there was some rocky soil that the seed landed in. There was some thorny soil. And so what, what's teaching here is that when, when you have the Word of God and it interacts with your heart, you want to somehow cultivate your heart to receive what God's teaching you through the Bible. Because honestly, different people receive the Word of God differently because... Their hearts are different levels of readiness to receive it. Any of you, you don't have to show your hand, but ever garden before, grow tomatoes, flowers, stuff like that? Yeah, I've done some of that before. And and it's like living in Missouri, at least in the yards that I've had, it's been pretty tough. You like think, how how do I raise tomatoes in this when it's just pure clay and rock? So you know if you're going to grow anything good, you're going to have to do some work. You've got clay soil, you've got to put some sand in there to break it up. You've got... Rocky soil, you need to get some organics in there to get it enriched or you know, break that up and, and put mulch so you get the moisture there. So, How do you prepare your heart to receive the word of God so that there's actually something good happening? Well, this is something I want to I kind of challenge you on. Like here on Sunday, no judgment from me, but what does your Sunday look like before you get to church? I mean, you're like, are you just... To hear frustrated when you get to church because of what's happened before you get here. And, and then you walk in, and then, like, you know, the coffee ran out. Maybe, hopefully, it doesn't happen. Our hospitality team's awesome. But you come in, and you're caffeine deprived, and maybe this is the week that the kids check in, computers not working. So you're frustrated, and you come in here, and it's like 10 minutes after, and you're just, oh, and you're frustrated. Are you in a place to receive anything at that point? <laughs> Are you ready? And look, there's no judgment for me because I was like five minutes late coming in here myself. So if you think I'm talking about you, I'm not. So you got that. But I want to challenge you on this because this is why two people can walk into this service, exact same service. The seed is exactly the same. It's the word of God. And one person walks out of here and says, that was amazing. That was like, I'm going to do something with what you talked about this week. And, and I just, I feel like I'm closer to God. And another person can walk out going, that was just an absolute waste of time. Why was I even here? I didn't get anything out of that. Same exact service. What's the difference? It's The level of preparation that you came into it with. How open was your heart to receive something from God before you ever got here? And just question, how many of you got a mobile phone? Like, who doesn't, right? You ever been out somewhere and had a drop call? You ever had unkind thoughts about your mobile carrier at that point? Been out in the... The wilderness of northern Georgia, desperately trying to get a signal so I can call for a ride. You're like, oh, argh. you know, if you're going to get good signal, if you're going to maintain like this good call, you, you got to get somewhere where you can actually get good signal, getting close to a tower. I want to talk about like, how do you actually get to a place where your heart is ready to receive something from God? James talks about four things here. I'll just point them out. These are still under that first point there. You can write these down. The first thing I would say is if you want to have good reception from what God's trying to tell you, you got to get quiet. Jesus, James said, like, be be slow to speak, uh, and be quick to listen, which is really important. Gene Apple, the preacher on California, he says, "My wife is constantly saying to me, Gene, you can't listen when you're talking." At least I think that's what she said. <laughs> yeah. It's so important that we just get quiet if we're going to hear from God. I'm going to give you a little help with that. And like I said, I was late today, so I'm not judging anybody else. I'm talking to me here. But you, we, we start things before 10 o'clock in here. There's actually music playing. Sometimes there's a video playing. They're just things to help you start to get quiet, to center your thoughts, to just say, you know, everything else happened today before. I'm going to push that aside, and I'm just going to be ready to, to listen to what God might be willing to share t- with me. It'll, hospitality opens at 9 o'clock, you're free to come early, stay late, that's cool. But just maybe make a commitment. I'm going to get in here just a little bit early to start preparing myself to get quiet, to listen. And the second thing I would say, if you want to receive something from God, you've got to get calm. Jesus, James said, be slow to become angry. I don't know about you, but when I'm angry, I'm not really in a place to receive, I'm in a place to give. So James is saying, what you, whatever you are got in your mind, conflict-wise or whatever, Just get in a place where you can put that aside and get calm. Third thing that he points out here, and this is interesting. He says, if I want to be receptive to what God's trying to say to me, I've got to get clean. I've got to get clean. He says, get rid of the the moral filth and uh, the evil. It's interesting, that word that's used there for filth, and this is an image that you will carry with you out of here. It's a word you can use for earwax. Enjoy that, right? Thanks, Brian. Thanks for putting that thought in my mind. But the idea when he says get rid of the filth, it's like you need to clean your ears out. and my, I can hear my mom's voice. Don't put anything smaller than your elbow in your ear. I'm sorry, but it's just so cool to put a Q-tip. But you want to clean out the moral filth in your life. So what James would suggest is, is there something in your mind that you've been allowing to stay there that just needs to go away? You had thoughts of, of just jealousy or greed or anger or lust. If you had some things in your life this week that you just need to maybe clear the air with God and maybe somebody else before you come and you just need to get clean? Maybe for you, you need to do what the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, where where John wrote this. He said, if we confess our sins, God can be trusted to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, to purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, some of us, let's be honest, all of us need to do this just to come humbly before God and say look I know that I don't always measure up to what you expect from me I know that there's some things in my life that are not good and I need to get rid of that so that I can hear from you to clear the air so you get quiet you get calm you get clean final thing is if I'm going to be receptive to what God might tell me I have to be humble he did he just said it right there he says you want to humbly accept the word planted in you Now, I've known people, and you may have known people like this too, some of the most intelligent people, and they can be some of the most rude people. They're smart, and they know it. And it's even more horrible when it comes to Bible knowledge. It's like, you're going to be proud of this to the level where you look down on other people because you know more Bible than they do? Really? There's a place in the Bible where it says knowledge puffs up. It, like, makes you prideful, and, and you're like, look, I don't care how fast you can find Zephaniah in the Bible or that you even know that it exists in the Bible Like, what I really care about and what James would care about, what Jesus would say is, okay, so you know this much Bible, how much of that that you know are you actually doing and putting into practice in your life? Because if you know this much and you're doing this much, I'll take the person who knows this much because they're new, but they're doing this much. That's humility to say, not just come to God and say, okay, you tell me what you want me to do and then I'll decide whether or not I want to do it. But to humbly say, okay, I'm listening And I'm listening in a way that says I'm ready to take action on what you're talking about. So that's what we're talking about here. Now, it's the first way you get transformed by the Bible. You listen to it. That's not the only way you get transformed by the Bible. Because we know from, like, just learning studies, studies of how people learn stuff, what we found is that we tend to forget, like, 95% of what we hear within 72 hours, three days, which is awesome for me because what do I do every Sunday? I talk. She tells me, like, by Wednesday, you don't remember anything of what I talked about. (laughs) Which is no judgment again, because people will ask me, what did you preach about last week? I don't remember. (laughs) I don't want to talk, so it's okay. That's why what we say is we we want to listen, but it's also important to see things, because we remember much more of what we see. And so that leads me to the second thing. If I want to be transformed by the Bible, I also have to read it with my eyes. I get in there, and I read. You can't be transformed by the Bible without reading it. James says in verse 22, don't just listen to the word. I mean, do listen to it, but don't stop there. You actually be changed by it. And then he's got this awesome image in verse 23 through 25 where he talks about the Bible being kind of like a mirror. And you go to the mirror of the word of God. And um, you look intently into it. And so James would say here, when you do that, and in verse 25 he says, you're going to be blessed who wouldn't want to be blessed in every area of your life? That's the power that this word has. And, and it's looking intently. It's not just kind of speed reading through it, but it's reading in a sense that you're trying to actually gain something out of it and let God show you what you need to do with what you're hearing. Now I understand what, like, the pushback that you're going to give is like, okay, Brian, so what you're telling me is I'm already so busy, but I have to come listen to the word and find other time in the week to listen to the word, and I have to make time in my schedule to read. You do know, like, the voice is on tonight. And my Netflix queue is just getting so big, and you know, i got to catch up with Facebook and floss the cat. So it's just, How am I going to put one more thing into my schedule, like read the Bible also? Listen, this is really where it's going to take you to a new place in your spiritual life, when you take some time daily to just read the Bible. And James says it's like a mirror. It's like a person who stops by a mirror to take a look. What does a mirror do for you? Doesn't it give you an accurate reflection of who you are, literally? Like, you stop by the mirror to assess the damage of the night before. You know, and then when you see this, I guarantee you, like, every one of you stopped by a mirror at some point this morning, right? And we all know who those of you who did not. <laughs> it's just Have you ever gone to a mirror and been like, why didn't somebody tell me my collar's been flipped up all day? Or why didn't somebody tell me I would misbuttoned my buttons or that I had something right there? That, it's what a mirror does for you. It gives you an accurate and honest assessment Of who you are right now. Not how you want to be, not how you think you're presenting yourself to the world. This is who you are. That's what this does. Like it or not, this is an accurate appraisal of who you are. It's a mirror and it tells you the truth about who you are. You spend some time there to see who I am and what changes I need to make. And you know what makes that difficult is sometimes you go in front of the mirror and you don't like what you see and you're like, okay, we gotta get some softer light in here. (laughs) I'm seeing way too many wrinkles. And, and sometimes it's tempting just to go, I don't like what this says about me. I just don't feel, I mean, this is, this is kind of, I don't know, indicting. I, and I can't argue with what it's saying, so maybe I just don't want to do this for a while because I don't like what the mirror of the Bible is showing me. And I don't want to be told about it. It shows me where I'm falling short. And I'm going to tell you, just me personally, Brian, a, a guy, not a pastor, not a leader in his church, just me, I need this. I need the honest, unflinching view of what the Bible shows me about me. And you do too. This is the standard that we hold ourselves to when we follow Jesus. And we need to know that so that we can take action on what we find. So that's how you get transformed. You, You listen to the Word and then you read it and you see how you truly are and you take it seriously. But there's even a third step. I'm transformed when I take this book and I research it with my hands and with my mouth. You go, that sounds a little weird. It sounds like what a toddler would do. First thing a toddler does, they find something, they put it in their mouth. I'm not suggesting you gnaw on this. You'll understand what I'm talking about here in a second, but we do research this. So what's the difference between just reading this and researching this? It has to do with the level of engagement that you've got with it. When you're reading something, you're kind of just passively reading along. When study involves something more like that, you you have a pen and you have paper, you're taking notes, you're writing things down, you're asking questions, you're making comments, you're saying, what do you think, what does this mean, I don't get this, or do you think this is saying that we should be doing this, that's when you start talking about researching something, and that's what you should be doing with the Bible, you really get into it at a whole different level. Um, Boy, this has been a long time ago, several years ago, back when Kirsten and I first started dating, I started dating in April of the year that we started dating. And then, so it's like the end of the, s- the college semester. So Kirsten's going to be going back home in May, which home was like northern Indiana, and I s- lived in St. Louis. So we've been dating for like a month and a half, and I don't know how Kirsten felt at that point, but I was like, I don't I don't know that I want to be separated from her for three months. She's probably whatever. Actually, she wasn't, because she invited me to come spend like a week with her family, so I knew, like, we're good. And this is, this is in the dark ages before FaceTime and Skype and email and all that. You know, this is... This is the early 90s. There's no, like, Google Maps either. So when she says, come to my house, I'm like, okay, so I've got to write down directions. Her dad, John, my father-in-law now is telling me, here's how you get there. This is like back in the day of kerosene lamps and, and horse-drawn carriages. <laughs> how do I figure out how to get from St. Louis through all these big cities in Chicago and Hammond and Gary and then all these past um, Notre Dame and then all through all these little towns to get to her town? And so I'm looking at all these interstate changes, I'm looking at all these small roads and and big towns, and I'm looking at the directions John had given me, and I'm like, I'm going to end up in Afghanistan. I, I have no idea how I'm going to get to her house. Now, at that point, did I just say, you know what? I guess we're just going to have to see other people. <laughs> Hopefully, she's still interested in me when she comes back to college in the fall. I mean, no, look at her. Of course I didn't do that. I was like, I said, I need to figure this out. So I researched it. I studied. I, you remember those fold-out maps? I mean, like, you could lose your faith in Jesus Christ trying to put one of those back together the right way. I got the maps out, and I took John's notes, and I made my own notes, and I drew my own maps. And, I, and so I got on the road, I studied this thing out, and I had a long-distance calling card. Remember those? So I get lost, I can stop at a pay phone. Remember those? And I could call and say, where am I at? Because she was worth the effort. I put some effort and energy into figuring out how to do this. This is worth the effort. It may take a little bit of work, but there's some good stuff that you can draw out of this. And so you do more than just say, okay, I'll occasionally read it and hope it's doing something for me. Take some time to actually study it and get engaged in it. That's when you get the most out of it. It's when you, this is why we encourage you to get into a life group, because you can get with other people who are doing the same kind of thing, and you can ask them questions, and you've got a group leader who can maybe help you figure some stuff out. And you can say, I think it means this, but I don't know. And so you research it with your mouth, and you're asking questions, and you're taking notes. And that's how you get the most out of it. So in the Bible, there's a group of people who actually did this. This is in Acts chapter 17. This is a Greek city called Berea. And there's a group of people there who were interested in maybe becoming followers of Jesus. They never heard about him before. Two Christian men, Paul and Silas, are teaching them about Jesus. And what they did was very good. It says this. Whenever they were being taught about Jesus and the, the, and they were, the guys who were preaching about Jesus said, well, it's in the Bible, which at that point it would have been the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. They actually grabbed their Bibles and they said, is this really true? So it says in Acts 17, 11, the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. They listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if what Paul and Silas were teaching was the truth. They searched the scriptures. They searched the Old Testament. They didn't just go, oh, okay. They didn't just read it. They really intently looked into it. They asked questions. They showed up day after day. They, they took notes. They compared things. They talked to each other. And then you can do that. By the way, I've had this conversation with enough people enough times. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. So if you've ever heard this or before, I'm sorry, or if you already know this, but I know there's a lot of people who don't know this, you can write in this. That is okay. That is not a sin. This is just paper. I know it's a it's God's word, but this is just paper. And if you don't feel comfortable writing in the Bible you've got, get one that you can. Because that's how you learn stuff. You you underline things that are important so you can go back and find them again. You highlight things. You if you, one verse reminds you of another verse, you write that verse in there. You write questions in there. That's why this Bible's falling apart, and I've had it for decades, but I can't bear to give it up because i got so much stuff in this. I know it's time to give it up, and I will, but, you know, it's this thing. Get a book that you can actually write in because this is meant to be studied and researched and put it into your life. And so when we look at this book, we've got to hear it, we've got to see it, we've got to research it with our hands and our mouth. And the fourth thing I want to point out here is that we've got to review and remember it with our minds, Again, I'll just go back to James, James 125. James says, if you look into this and not forget what you've heard, but you do it, you'll be blessed in all you do. So it's, it's really looking into this with the intention of, I want to get this onto the hard drive. I want to get this into the memory. And this really will accelerate your growth toward maturity when you take it to this level of doing what Ginger led us in just a little bit ago, memorizing the Bible, getting it in there. What you're doing is you're training your brain. You're giving it new things to think about, new patterns of thinking, new content to work with that's really healthy. The Holy Spirit of God can bring things to your mind that you've got memorized when you need it. So this is a great thing to do, to memorize Scripture. And I know some of you, the pushback you're going to get is like, I have a horrible memory. I can't memorize anything. Again, I'm with you. Like my mom, when I was a kid, my poor mom, she'd send me to the basement to get something. i get down to the bottom of the stairs. By that time, I've already forgot what I was going down there to get which was bad for mom because our library was downstairs. Shelf after shelf of books downstairs. So I'd just go read until she yelled down, where's whatever whatever she sent me for? Oh, that's what I was down here to do. And you say you have terrible memory, but you remember what's really important to you. If you're a parent, you remember your kids' names, right? You may not call them the right name. Like My grandma, she'd run through all of her kids' names and then the grandkids' names trying to get to me. She forgot what she was mad at me about by the time she got to my name. Bruce Dennis (laughs) Jampadden. You remember your kids' names. You remember lyrics of songs from your past. Somebody help me out here. Just a small-town girl living in a lonely world. Took a midnight train going. See, you can remember that. You can remember this. Some of you are very sports-minded. You know stats on baseball. Or you know st- stats on football. or bas- March Madness is coming. You, you're going to know every team in the bracket. You're going to know everything about the players on that. You remember what's important to you. Some of you... You know the symbols for publicly traded companies, like hundreds of them. You know what price point they're trading at right now and where they should go, because that's important to you. All I'm saying is we remember the things that are important to us, and you can do this. You can remember the Bible if you'll make a point to do it. If you want to have a healthy brain in your 70s, 80s, and 90s, do this. Brain science shows the more you memorize, the more you read, the more you study, the healthier your brain gets, and it's never too late to start. So there you go. That's my tip for you today. Memorize the Bible. And that's why we're memorizing these verses together each week. Let's go ahead and do the verse for this week again. Psalm 119.18. Try it with me. Try it without looking at the screen. See if you can do it. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Good job. Remember the one from last week? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Ah, was a little rougher. <laughs> Take that bookmark and start studying. You know, the Bible, the Bible will often talk about like meditating on the word and a lot of times I think we get to kind of the wrong idea of meditating and memorizing. What is that? Like is that what you do in, in like yoga class? Is that where you get into the lotus position and clear your mind? and om? N- Bible has a little bit different thing in mind when it talks about meditating. It's not thinking about nothing. It's about thinking about something. When you're meditating, you're kind of doing the same thing with your brain as what your mouth does when you've got beef jerky. You're chewing on something for a while to get something out of it. So when the Bible says meditating on God's word, you're bringing it to your mind throughout the day. And it's easier to do that when you've got it memorized. God can bring it to your mind. You can think about what it means. Joshua, in the Old Testament, Joshua was a, a leader of the nation of Israel, and he told the people, he says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And he says, then you'll be prosperous and successful. So I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be prosperous and successful. And so many people have an opinion about how you become prosperous and successful. And Joshua would say it starts with, like, learning God's ways and doing things God's ways. Memorize it, meditate on it, and do what it says, which leads me to the last way that you can be transformed by the Bible. And it's simply this. Respond to it with your actions. I'm transformed by the Bible when I respond to it with my actions Interesting thing about this word here that James said, he says you should be quick to listen. The, he wrote in Greek originally, or we translated his words out of Greek into English. The word there, we get an English word from this word listen, but it's not the word listen, ironically. It's the word audit. You ever audit a class in college? That's awesome. You're not responsible for anything. You just show up for the lectures and listen. You don't have to take the tests. And James says don't do that with the Bible. Don't just like show up at church and audit. That's a pretty interesting talk today, Brian. You know, I learned some stuff. I mean, I'm I'm glad that you learned something, but I'd much rather you learn something that you're going to actually do something with it this week. Don't just audit the Bible. Actually engage with it. You can study a book intensely and never be changed by it. Like, imagine one of you just gave me a present. You're like, Brian, I got a book for you. I, I saw it at the bookstore. I was thinking of you. Here it is. And it's like weight training for dummies. And I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> what are you trying to say here? So no, I really, I think, that, you know, and a lot of you are into cardio and weightlifting and all That's cool. So you're like, I just thought you'd enjoy it. And I'm like, okay, thank you. I'm going to take it in the spirit that's given. I'm, you want to do well for me. So like you see me the next week and you're like, okay, Brian, what did you think of the book I gave you? And I'm like, oh, that was awesome. You know what I did? I put it on my nightstand. And every morning when I woke up, the first thing I did is I read Weight Training for Dummies. And I, I highlighted stuff. I memorized passages out of it like this is how you do this. I even got some of my neighbors together. We get together on Tuesday nights, and we'll take the book, and we'll talk about it. We'll even sit on the couch and eat ice cream and watch weightlifting videos. Wouldn't you be like, I think you're kind of missing the point? I didn't give it to you so you could just, like, read it. I actually hoped it would transform you as you did what it talked about. If this is really what I'm saying it is, if this is wisdom from God who created the world about how to live Why would you not do what this says? If I'm right, this is absolutely representing the best life you could ever have. Why would a person not take this seriously? In fact, this is the book that points us to God's son, Jesus, and says here's how you even experience eternal life. Why would you not simply stop at reading but to to take the next step and say, you know what, I'm going to do what he says to do. Why don't we pray about that right now? Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in so many ways. I mean, like, honestly, sometimes I think we spend our lives ignoring you and running away from you, and yet you keep reaching out to us. You've revealed yourself to us through the Bible. You've told us what you expect through other people. And finally, even through your own son, Jesus Christ, you've literally come to be among us, to be one of us, to show us the way to... to to life I, I'm praying right now Father that we would walk out of here different that we would make a commitment to be humble and just accept your word and to do what it says I want to pray for people here who are struggling with something and they don't know what to do next that you would just give them wisdom I'm praying for people who are struggling because they're hurting and you just give them a sense of peace and uh, Father I pray for those who are just unsure about their future Do you remind them that you've loved them with an everlasting love and that you've called all of us to be in your family? I'm just asking you would help us to know what to do next. I'm very thankful for the fact that you've even showed us that there's salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, that you offer forgiveness of our sins. And I pray that we would accept that. And I, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.